Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. Probably the thing that has the most, uh, there's the most distinction relative to Roman Catholics. So this is the thing I'm going to need you to pay the most attention to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time. Um, all right, so uh, sacrament of the altar. Yep. That's all right. They can just talk. We can pray, right? Yep. Sure. I have to pray with distractions all the time. <laughs> Go to a restaurant or something. All right, let's pray. Oh Lord, in this wondrous sacrament, you have left us the remembrance of your passion. Grant that we may so receive this sacred mystery of your body and blood, that the fruits of your redemption may continually be manifest in us. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. So, uh, you see, one of the names for it is the sacrament of the altar. So, I think we talked about sacrament when we were talking baptism. Am I right or wrong? Okay. Yeah, so, um, actually, Lutherans pretty much run with St. Augustine's definition. Luther was an Augustinian monk, so he knew Augustine quite well. And Augustine said that a sacrament is a word of God that's been attached to a sign. Okay? Okay. Yeah, so think baptism. The word is attached to water, right? right? The water is not just plain water, but it's, a, it's the word of, God in and, word of God in and with the water that does these things, along with the faith that trusts the word of God in the water, right? So you've got the two, like, and it's the same with the Lord's Supper. Um, the, the visible sign, of course, is bread and wine. And, uh, um, but, but the thing, actually, so it's race and signa, you don't have to know the Latin, but the thing is the body and blood of Christ. So the sign is bread and wine, but the word is, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? And it's the word that's the thing. And it's the word that makes it what it is, right? Um, so that's, uh, so maybe I'm, right now I'm trifling a little bit more with the reform folks, like from Oostburg, <laughs> you know, from your neck of the woods, who say, they're, yes, they believe it's a sign, but they don't believe it is what he says it is. Okay? okay. So they, they see it as a remembrance or a memorial, depending on which tradition. Because there's different kinds of reformed, right? Yeah. Pres, presbys and, yeah. and uh, you know, Dutch and whatever. Yeah. Christian reformed, Protestant reformed. I don't know which ones you have over there. Um, but they, they will say that the bread and wine only signify the thing. But they aren't the thing. Mm. So that's the problem when you take Augustine, but then you can go too far with Augustine and say that bread and wine are only signs of actually a higher reality, which is his body and blood. Well, that's not true. He says, take, eat. He takes the bread and says, take, eat. This is my body. So there's bread and there's his body. Who's winning? Who won? Djokovic? I'm assuming it's ESPN. Yeah, ESPN, Wimbledon, Roger Federer. Seats wrote Dokovic for 16. I got yeah, it. but it was at 8 o'clock, so I got it should be over. I got it recorded. 
Oh, do you you know you're a tennis guy? Kinda yes. Okay. I like to kind of watch. Oh, All right. I didn't get to watch Sabrina. That's okay. Right. Side note. Fine. Yeah, because Hal, Hal Peter. Uh, yeah. So it's not a sign alone, and, and it's not bread and wine alone. Right. All right. So where does go? Where does it get off the beaten path for some? Some would say it's just a sign of a higher reality that is made manifest by my faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's God's body and blood. It's Christ's body and blood because I believe it is, which isn't actually true. Yeah, it's Christ's body and blood because he says it is. But faith is necessary to receive it to your benefit. Right? If you don't believe it's his body and blood, then you ought not receive it because now you're receiving something that you actually... You're, it's like... It'd be kind of like... Hmm, grandma wants to give you a present and she tells you what it is, like, this is what you're going to inherit. And you're like, oh, it's kind of right. a... You don't really want, kind of, really I don't really want the China set, but then right, what? Exactly. But okay. if I get it, I can, I can sell it when she dies or something, <laughs> right? Okay, so you're taking the gift, but now you're using it not for what it was given for, right. but rather for something else, right. right? So to receive the Lord's Supper outside of faith, that is, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in those words, is to receive it, not to your benefit, but actually to your harm. Because you're receiving it maybe, oh, I don't know, to get drunk, actually. Some people might. That's um, true. Uh, or just as bare earthly food or some kind of memorial. I mean, outside of the words that Jesus gives it, it's not going to benefit you. We're talking Reformed. I, I did Reformed first with the Lord's Supper. So we can go to Rome next. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Reformed say that it's just a memorial or it signifies that it that there is a higher reality, but, but it's, not, it's not actually the thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, like... How do, they, how do they justify that based on... Like, um, how do they use Scripture to justify it? Ha, do they use Scripture? No, they use reason. Right. No, they use reason. So there's a couple of ways. One is what's called the communication of attributes. It sounds technical and crazy. But actually, the Reform denied that... What actually the Council of Nicaea taught, which is that um, everything... That, Think about the way we say it in the Athanasian Creed, that he's, Jesus is equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity, right? But equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, meaning he has all the attributes, functions, abilities of the Father. He can, Jesus can do everything that the Father can do because mm-hmm. he is the Son of the Father. Uh, this was on Stephen Colbert a long time ago. Um, he was interviewing... It was when he was on Comedy Central, right? It was part of that other show, right? And he had a segment. Oh, no, it was before he moved to The Late Show, right? Or whatever show he has. He had a segment where he was interviewing um, a renowned atheist who's like a, a apologetic for atheism. So he's trying to, trying to defend the belief that there is no God. Okay. Uh, I can't remember which guy it was. Dawkins, maybe? And he did this really incredible thing, and I thought it was helpful. He said to him, now... A son of a duck is what? What is the son of a duck? And what's the answer? It's a duck. Yeah, yeah. It's like the it's like the du- the father duck in every way, except it's the son. It's still duck. It's still God, right? Because because uh, the atheists like to the, these radical atheists that are defenders like to say that that there's a couple. Well, there's about a dozen or more heresies, but we could talk about. Um, but that somehow Jesus was less than the Father in his. De- that he was less than divine, like a semi, what do we call those? Demigod? 
demigod, like half human, half God kind of thing. That's one of the errors. And there's others. Um, but a son of a duck is duck. God, Jesus has all the same abilities, functions, will, word, everything that is Jesus's is the Father's. And that's right out of John, the scriptures. I mean, it's just straight up scripture. That's what he says. Everything that I have, I've, been, I've received from the Father. And everything that I am, is, I reveal to you the Father. So you can't even know the Father apart from Jesus. Mm-hmm. So to even talk about the attributes of God abstractly, you can't even do it. You can only talk about the things that Jesus has revealed of God mm-hmm. in himself. All right. Um, I'm, we made a half a pot of coffee. Mm-hmm. So you got, you got, I made it for Green coffee lasts a long time. It's once you roast it that it doesn't. So. Um, here's, what, here's what Luther wrote. You can do this. While, you can listen while you're doing coffee. He writes this uh, to these people who are um, thinking about this whole symbolic thing. Yeah. If now I seek the forgiveness of sins, I do not run to the cross, for I will not find it there, nor must I hold to the suffering of Christ, as Dr. Karlstedt trifles, in knowledge or remembrance, for I will not find it there. But I, I will find in the sacrament or the gospel the words which distribute, present, offers, and gives me that forgiveness which was won on the cross. So Luther is saying, you know, just to say Jesus died 2,000 years ago does not yet benefit you in any way. I mean, it's historic knowledge. I guess it benefits you in that way. But it doesn't, it's not, nothing is communicated to you of benefit to you. Right? Unless you say, the Jesus who died upon the cross 2,000 years ago is now present for you in the word of absolution, in the preaching, in your baptism, and in his body and blood in the supper. Right? So we were talking about the Reformed and kind of their disconnect. So they would say that, that the body of Jesus can't do what the divinity of Jesus does. Right? So they would say, yes, Jesus is God and fully God, but he, he's restrained by his humanity which can't normally do, like things, oh, I don't know, like be in more than one place at once. Or be present for you under bread and wine without being consumed, but being consumed by your mouth, but not actually being, um, what do you want to say, used up, yeah. right? Because he's present at all, every alt. Is it supernatural? Is it a mystery? Absolutely, right? But to Mike's point, there probably are some scriptures that they throw out. I, don't, I just don't know them. For the most part, what I see from it is it's a quite reasonable argument, and I'm very sympathetic to it. It makes a lot more sense than just saying, I don't know. <laughs> but that's what, actually what we're given to do, is to confess the mystery and not try to um, divide it up. So incidentally, Reformed, because it's symbolic, Reformed, when the Reformed and the Lutherans, um, it was the Prussian king and, and his queen, and I think she was Reformed and he was Lutheran, and, uh, but, you know, that's not going to work out so well because they want to go to church together, right? Yeah. This is what led to the Missouri Synod, by the way. So the Saxon immigrants fled the Prussian Union. And the, what the Prussian Union insisted was that because the king and queen wanted to commune together, then they created a union church body. So it was a union of the, Re- of the Reformed and the Lutheran where um, they had to somehow figure out how can we get to the same altar, even though we don't agree actually to the 
the nature of Christ's body and blood in the supper, whether it's truly his body and blood or if it's some kind of supernatural presence. And actually, they say you ascend to heaven in faith to commune upon his supernatural body in heaven, that his supernatural body can't be here, which is weird because it's supernatural. Why can't it be here? I don't know. Right. So I'm, it's, I make, I'm making light of it and maybe a little bit insulting of it, but of the position. Um, but, I, but I think it's quite reasonable. I really do. And so anyway, there was the Prussian Union and the, they got together. Um, but the only something has to give. And what gave was that Christ is truly present in his body and blood in the supper. Here's where it gets really tricky. Have you ever heard the expression real presence? That you must, in order to, like you'll see it in a communion statement. In order to commune here, you have to confess the real presence of Jesus in the supper. You never heard this? All right. It's really popular in Missouri Synod. Um, incidentally, it's a reform term that came out of the Prussian Union Church because they said Lutherans and, and, and Reformed actually both confess the real presence of Jesus. But by real, what do they mean? Is Jesus present? Yes. But in what way? Well, we don't agree on that, but that's not necessary. We don't actually need to agree whether he's actually in his body and blood or if it's some kind of supernatural eating. Yeah. Well, that was my question. So how do they, how do the Reformed express that he's present? It depends on which one. So we're painting with a really broad brush, and Lutherans aren't consistent either, but um, some would say um, that he's present um, in that when we go to the supper, we go to heaven. All right. So you're communing upon the Lamb who sits at the throne is at the right hand of God. Um, some will say it's just a memory of the past event. That's more of a Baptist flavor. So it's n- you're not actually receiving anything apart from a promise. Yeah. And then there's variations in between. So they don't treat the bread and wine as sacred? It depends. Some do. Do they consecrate it? Yeah. Yeah, the more conservative of the bunch... But the point is, is that they don't say it is his body and blood under bread and wine or with bread and wine or near. They, 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 yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, unfortunately, as with anything, when there's variation, it's hard to kind of, like I said, paint with too broad of a brush. But there are very, very conservative um, Reformed folks that will confess that Jesus is really present. Um, that's why I don't use that language, because they don't actually mean that he's present physically, body and blood. They, they mean that he's present in some other kind of way. And yes, he's real and he's really present, but he's not, yeah. So we just, I just drop that language entirely and just say, take the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. I mean, just add his bare word and that's enough. Yeah, so that's, that's the reform crowd. And uh, uh, so, I mean, Lutherans initially... The initial problems with what the Lord's Supper is came from the Reformed. Mm-hmm. So the heavenly prophets like Zwickau and Karlstadt, um, there's other guys um, that kind of just took and just went off the deep end. And Luther was like, no, 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 no. no we're Reform-minded. We're, we, we, like, you look at the Augsburg Confession, we celebrate the Mass. They even call it the Mass. So they use the same terminology. We celebrate with all reverence. And actually, um, there are those who say, I'd rather commune with a... Um, you know, with a Reformed person then, or with a, a Roman Catholic who confesses mm-hmm. that Christ is, is present, truly, body and blood, physically, in the supper, than with a Reformed who says he's not even there. But um, the error on the, on, the, on the Rome side is to go the opposite way. Right. 
So, so the Reformed say, well, it is bread and wine, and Christ is present, but only in some kind of other fashion, but not really present, okay, or truly, actually. It's not his body and blood. Um, the Rome does the other thing. They say, he's truly present, his body and blood, but there's no longer bread and wine. Now, that one's a little bit harder for people to get their head around. Yeah. Because right. they have to use uh, Aristotelian or Aristotle's definitions of things. And they say, to say that the, the, that the um, i got to think of the term now. I just lost it. The coffee hasn't kicked into my bloodstream yet. Um, that the accidents, the substance has changed, but the accidents remain. And by accident, they don't mean, um, like, oops, I did it again. But by accident, they mean um, all the things that we can observe. So Aristotle made a distinction between the, the essence of a thing and then all the ways that we can observe it. Because, I mean, the question is, like, yeah, you look at your husband and you, and you say, well, you know, he's got male pattern baldness, and he's got gray hair, and he didn't shave this morning, and he's wearing a blue shirt, and he did something to his arm, right? Mm-hmm. But do any of those observations tell you really anything about who John is? A little bit. <laughs> they tell you a little bit. But, but, I mean, to really know who John is... Um, I think Aristotle was right. It's more than just observation. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, how do you actually... I mean, you probably... You no, know, you haven't figured him out yet. No. No. Okay. No. You may never figure him out. So, that, so it's a distinction between the, the, accident or the, sub, or the accidents or the observational things and the substance or the actual reality of it. Right. Or the accident things. Yeah. Right. Well, so like, you know, a ghost would be you know, accidental. It's not the actual thing, it's just right. representative of the thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. People treat the, like the body in the grave the same way. They say, it's not actually him in the grave. And we actually say, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, well, wait a minute, I thought his soul went and departed and is with, well, sorry, it's not in the Bible. Um, this, his soul is in safe keeping, that's about as much as we can say. Right. And Jesus will preserve him until the last day. But no, that's him, dead. Like, there's no other way to know so-and-so apart from their body. Right. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, how, what is somebody apart from their body? Uh-huh. A soulless being? There's no such thing in, in, the, in all of creation. So I don't know why we make up such things. Um, but just, I guess, just try to... Yeah, but also a way of denying the, the yeah. kind of brutal reality of, of, of the grave. Yeah. So thinking about the body a little bit. I'm trying, trying not to think too much about funerals because, although I talked about that a little because I'm going to go to this funeral that's going to be horrible. I'm setting myself up because I've been to one from the same church. as a Methodist church. And uh, I, just, I just don't want, I just don't want to kamikaze the eulogy and just fly in and say all sorts of, like, you people, you people, you've said nothing to comfort me today. Last time, we, I actually preached to my kids on the way home. Well, but in contrast to what they heard. So I said, you heard it said, but I say to you kind of in Jesus' name. Right. Yes, we could do it that way. There was, and they were good. I mean, I didn't even really have to say that much. They're like, yeah, you never, there was not, it wasn't even that he didn't meet, mention Jesus. He did mention Jesus. There was never a resurrection. There was not a, a, even a bare mention of the resurrection of the body. No forgiveness of sins. No baptism, except for the very beginning of the service. It was all about pious living. And it's like, that doesn't save you. It's, yeah, so they were really good about that. All right, so Rome went the other way. No more body and no more bread and wine, just body and blood, even though it looks like it. And Lutherans are like, bread and wine, body and blood. I'm not quite sure how that works out. Just, just roll with Jesus on this one. All right. Um, 
So, yeah, that's called transubstantiation. It's on the top of page 42, if you kind of understand it. Again, how, how do the Catholics just, do they justify the scripture that it actually No, they justify it with philosophy. Yeah. Right, and like I say, it, I'm, I'm sympathetic with the Reformed view. I'm actually very sympathetic with, with the Roman view. It's got to be, reasonably, it has to be one of those two. Mm-hmm. Either he's not actually there, he's only symbolically there, right. or he's actually there and it only looks like what it is. Right. And uh, like I said, I think Rome does a better job of at least being trying to be faithful to God's word when he says, this is my body and this is my blood. I mean, at least they got that part. Of course, the manner and mode of his presence. They, again, they transubstance, so the substance of the bread and wine changed to body and blood. They would accuse us of what they call consubstantiation. So with. So it's bread with body and blood. And, like, fine, if you want to use that term. I want to interrupt for a second. There was, um, I forget the name, but I think she was of like, you know, it's a little bit of an Asian descent, but she was, every time she got uh, Roman Catholic, yeah. she got, oh, yeah, the bread on her tongue, they would turn for blood and flesh. It was very oh, well, you're talking about the mystics, yeah. It was a while back, but it just, it was, there was a lot of articles on it, how every mass she went to and all these priests and, and higher-ups in the Roman Catholic Church. And they had to validate it because she might get canonized for it. Yeah, so what, is that, how do you... So, so this, okay, so here's the problem with transubstantiation that it's no longer bread and wine, is that it's very, um, in, a, in a negative sense, mystical. I mean, it's as mystical as the reform view. They think it's quite reasonable, but it's actually quite mysterious. It's very um, mystical. Like, how, how does it change even though it looks the same? And you think it's, eh, it's not really all that reasonable. It's philosophically reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so both Reformed and Rome churches um, some reform worse than others, not all of them. There are cons- more conservative re- reform crowd that we're much more sympathetic. Like if you listen to White Horse Inn, that crowd, very, we're very, um, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, even they celebrate the supper, and I think with a great deal of reverence, it's just, again, the manner and mode of Jesus' body and blood, um, is that both Rome and, and, and the more liberal of the reformed um, are what we call enthusiasts. It's like enthusiastic, except yeah. it's enthusia, which means God withinism. So they, they would be the ones who say, if I don't feel Jesus in my heart, he's not actually with me. Right? And so Rome works about this uh, and, and reformed it. Like everything has to be somehow communicating the presence of Jesus in a way that moves the heart. Right? So you have to have exciting music, and, you know, timpanies, you have to have bells, you have to have the, all this magical almost stuff. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, we do things pretty reverently and I wear vestments yeah. and, yep. and there, I lift and yeah. bow and scrape and all that kind of stuff that looks very similar to Rome in some ways. Um, but I don't have to. Right. So, you know, it could be done. It, well, it is done. A bit, you know, in visitation of the sick or the homebound at, the, at their dinner table. And, I, and I, I'm not wearing vestments. I might wear a stole. I have a little stole yeah. ring. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, I don't know. There's, there's, it's scalable, we'll put it that way. And um, we do our best to confess the truth that it is Christ's body and blood and to respect him, you know, Lord and giver of life right there on the altar. But, um, but it's not all the magical and because In a sense, it can actually be boring because it's not about, it actually doesn't matter what you feel about it, it's what Jesus says about it. And we don't try to make it boring. I mean, that's not the point. Um, um, it's, but again, it's, a, it's what Jesus says and then the faith he creates with that. And even, so, so for example, Rome, uh, not Rome, 
The reforms say, in the Union Church especially, it has to be red wine. Why? Because it signifies blood. So it has to be red. So guess when the Lutherans who fled to the U.S., for example, and left the Union Church, what did they do? They insisted on, it must not be red wine. Why? Because because that, that teaching is wrong. Now, using red wine is fine. We can use red wine. But among Lutherans, especially in the last 200 to 300 years, um, especially 200 years, white wine was predominant or golden. Um, to actually say it's not whether or not it looks like blood that matters. It's what Jesus' word says. Right? And we'll actually do, take steps to make it really hard for you to believe <laughs> that, it, that it represents because that's not the point. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's the same way with the hosts. I mean, the little stamped wafer thing is, it's, it's a pious tradition. You're trying to avoid too many crumbs. And then because they're cutting it, they might as well stamp it with an image of Christ, which is nice. It's confessional. Um, but you can actually buy other kinds. You can, I mean, you could make a loaf. Yeah. Uh, unleavened is typical, although I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, the long tradition is that it is just a, in kind of keeping with the Passover, even though it's not the Passover. Yeah, and there's other teachings about leavening, leavening the whole lump. And they saw, I mean, in a way, um, you know, like a sourdough yeah. is alive. It's not actually dead grain. It's actually alive. It's, yeah. I mean, even when you bake it, it like, that's why it, um, and like my kombucha, you know, I'm drinking live bacterias and, you know, and they're going to live in my intestines um, with the other ones that are already there. So, see, we've kind of actually maybe changed a little bit about that with leavening and, they actually thought of leavening as kind of a mystical thing, too. Because, you know, if you just set out a, a wet dough without adding any kind of, like, yeast, it'll still rise. It pulls the bacteria out of the air. <laughs> yes, it's weird. Uh, but, yeah. No, and there are also hosts that, like, you can get where, you, where they're scored, and you can actually break them up into, like, little triangles out of the sea. Yeah, that's kind of cool, too. Uh, the, the challenge is always, you know, I am kind of a pietist when it comes to... Um, you know, the practice of the Lord's Supper, I just, I don't, I don't want it to be messy and clean and, you know, yeah. kind of square, square box, like do it this way and don't get outside the box. Just keep things clean and easy and, and don't, and don't give people, really what it's about is don't give myself or others conscience, um, unnecessary burden of thinking like, I mean, like my, actually my first call, first Sunday I, that they had the Lord's Supper, I go into the fellowship hall and in the garbage can are a bunch of individual cups because they use plastic ones and they weren't even rinsed yeah they just threw away the individual cups still many of them with what is or was so we don't actually have an answer Christ's blood because he doesn't say when it stops being he doesn't say that it does continue to be either so I that's why I say let's just be safe about it let's just act as if it continues to be because eh why would we give offense to people in such a casual disregard of the vessel that carried Christ's blood, certainly, um, and not even to rinse them? I mean, that's... that's wrong. Yeah, so typically what happens is you would rinse the cups, or cup, if you only have the one, and, um, and then the rinse water, as well as whatever's remaining of the wine, gets poured out on the ground. And that, um, and that, that I think is justifiable. Maybe just I think of Christ Himself. His side is pierced, and out comes blood and water. His own blood fell upon the ground, and so that seems as reasonable as we can get. So just to be clear, what you're saying is that once once the um, red wine are consecrated, mm-hmm. there's no definite 
nope. description of where stops being concentrated. Nope. So, so we just treat it reverently the way just because... Yeah, because even if it isn't anymore, right. it was. Yeah, so why not? Yeah. I mean, it's just the same thing you do with a flag. You know, you would bury mm-hmm. it or burn it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Bibles, we do the same thing. You don't throw them in the garbage. Mm-hmm. You usually bury them or burn them. Mm-hmm. All the vessels, um, in, um, including the uh, like linens, same story, burn or bury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that's what you do with reverent things when you just, you know, like the body, when you dispose of it, you either burn or bury. I'm not a big fan of burning bodies, but that's just the thing that we've already talked about, I think. Yeah. All right. So um, why? Because it is. In the context of the supper. Actually, when does it become the body and blood? Uh, actually, the words of institution are clearly a statement of it being Christ's body and blood. Are they the things that do it? Yeah. So, so like Luther, for Luther... The, the sanctus, you know, I say with saints and angels and the whole host of heaven, you know, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing or saying, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Those words, Christ on the altar, Christ upon the throne in heaven, Luther would say that actually the sanctus, it's already Christ's body and blood. Because you, you're actually declaring, God in flesh is here for me. Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Heaven and earth have been joined here at this altar, which also is a little bit mind-blowing, right? And hard to kind of get your head around. Because mm-hmm. it's not only heaven and earth being joined at the altar, but it's heaven, earth, and every altar from Adam's altar to the, al- the throne of the Lamb, the last altar, all at this altar now. Um, by the way, it might be worth mentioning, this church is oriented um, not according to the tradition, Oh, no, we're not traditional. Usually they're oriented east. Oh, yeah. yeah, the altar would be east. right? So that when the sun rises, it rises over the altar. And we're also facing Jerusalem because the last day, Christ restores Jerusalem, new Jerusalem. You know, kind of like the, the uh, Muslims pray towards Mecca. But think about it. I mean, even Daniel, when he's in Babylon... And remember, he gets in trouble, gets thrown in the lion's den. Why? Because he's praying. When, when there's the man, mandate against, from those evil guys, against Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar passes, it's actually not to pray to any other god. But Daniel still prays to other god, and what does he do? He goes out on his balcony and faces east. It actually says it. And he faces towards Jerusalem. So when they're in Babylon, they're facing Jerusalem to pray. So they're facing actually our west, right? They're facing towards us. Uh, but they're facing towards Jerusalem. We faced east because we're in the Western Church. So the Western Church would typically orient that way with the altar at the east, right? And then, and then we have a rail, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Right, so this is what's called the... Oh, by the way, there's like a... What, towers here, right? Inspires and then there's a Jesus statue. I know it's kind of Spanish. It's funny. I don't know. There's Jesus, there's a cross on the altar. Okay. And then all of you are this way, right? Yeah. Um, the altar is it wasn't this way here originally but it is now it's usually up against the wall now uh, since 1960 or so there have been movements to move the altar out into the room there's even churches built in the round around the altar right the historic practice is it's on the east wall and the altar is up against the wall and the idea is this okay so this is meant to show like it looks like a castle right so we're talking, this is actually meant to, this is heaven. Okay. These are the mansions. This is the, the kingdom, if you like. 
It's a castle. Yeah. Like otherwise, it's just like oh, it's pretty ornaments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, but that's what it's teaching. Right. And then the other, but actually, this is the other aspect of it. This altar, this wall, which has you know two stained glass windows of Jesus on it, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a false wall, or it's only half of a wall. It's you're facing from one side, but then there are those who are facing on the other side. Right? So there's actually folks gathered on the other side of that altar. And the altar is in the center of the of, of heaven. Right? Uh-huh. And you see? Who's who's at the altar here? And actually if you have transepts, you know, that's the parts where they stick out on the side. Yeah. Who's on that those sides of the altar? We say it in the preface. It's ancient angels with the whole host of heaven. The Lord God is savvy on the whole host of heaven. So when you get when you're at the altar community, who else is there? Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Those who you're part of, those who are not right. Right. Yeah. Um, you just don't see them. They're on the other side of the wall. Right? Ah, so that, that's nice. like that. That's why uh, it'd be really cool someday, either with statuary or just with paintings, is actually to have uh, angels surrounding the altar. Yeah, pretty cool. You know, and facing the altar. Right. Just like we see in Revelation or Isaiah. Yeah. Um, to confess that this altar is the same altar of Isaiah 6, holy, 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 the same altar of Revelation where the Lamb sits on the throne, mm-hmm. yeah, giving himself to eat and to drink. It's pretty great. I mean, it, it, it's, it's great. I think it's actually a word of comfort. Um, yeah. Even though my yeah. grandfather was a Methodist who definitely denied that Jesus was <laughs> in, in his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Um, I still believe that his baptism held true and Jesus forgives him for, for that grand oversight and all of his other many fall, failings, which I won't mention is in his eulogy. I love my grandfather. I do. I do. Um, um, I have many things that I wish he had not, which was, I use a Shriner. Are you talking about masonry and Shriner? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bad, bad news. Stay out of it. Yeah. Secret orders are bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's not, I mean, they're not doing anything evil apart from saying no. vows um, to like Egyptian gods, which is very strange. Mm-hmm. How, you, how is that compatible with Christianity? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also a lot of like magical, mystical stuff, which is weird. Mm-hmm. All right, so, all right, we've talked a lot about what it is. It is Christ's body and blood. And then the important words, and like in the small catechism, are given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? That's the, Luther says in the small catechism, that's the main thing in the sacrament. Now, it doesn't mean the sacrament doesn't benefit you in other ways, but that's the main thing. And when we're instructing children to receive the supper, that's how we instruct them, that they go to the supper to be forgiven their sins. That's where they go. And then as Luther says in the small catechism, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation, right? So, because you, just like um, Jesus confesses in John chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him. Right? Okay? So, you hear the Lord's Supper echoes there. Even though that's not only about the Lord's Supper, it does get you there. And uh, salvation, of course. If your sins are forgiven, what does it mean? God's not going to hold it against you. What does that mean? How, yeah. Well, how, do, how would God... How would he punish you for your sins? If if this, well, how does he punish us for our sins apart from his son Jesus? Is there punishment? Yes. What is it? What's it called? 
The wages of sin is death. 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 Yeah, right. right. So, um, was it Luther? No, I think it was Dr. Nagel. I get the two confused. He said, when we go to the Lord's Supper, we go to our death. And when we go to our death, we go to the Lord's Supper. Right? Okay, get your head around that. Does it need to sit for a second? When we go to the supper, we go to our death. Right? Our sin is, is forgiven, so our death is over with. Yeah, we're no longer dead. We live in Christ. When we die, are we dead eternally? No. We have life and salvation. Right? So, because our sins are forgiven, when we die, we go immediately. Do not pass go directly to the Lord's Supper. That has no end. Yeah. Isn't that something? This is why... Hmm, I'm not a big fan of language, and some of this is in our liturgy, of saying that the Lord's Supper is not, that it's penultimate, that's the word, that it's, it is the feast of the Lamb that has no end, but it, in a way it isn't. Or that we are with saints and angels, kind of. And I, I don't think we intend to imply this, but the one phrase that really got on my nerves about two weeks ago, and I just, and then I had to do some research and find out where it came from, and it's only been around since the late 70s. And we just think it's been around forever. Uh, but it was only in... This is the first hymnal we had that has a language in it. Okay. A foretaste of the feast to come. You heard that? Yeah. Yeah, because it's all over the place. A foretaste of the feast to come. It was one of the guys who was responsible for creating... Um, he actually did the translation of This is the Feast. It, it's a Latin hymn that was translated into English. Uh, it was called the Dignus Est. doesn't matter. Lord's Supper, a Lord's Supper canticle, and he translated that for us. Um, but he also came up with that language, a foretaste of the feast to come. Now, what is a foretaste? I, it, it just sounds like really fancy language. Put, it, put a, like a common word in its place. What would be a foretaste of a feast? I don't want to spoil what I have in mind, but... <laughs> what, what, is it, what, what does he mean by a foretaste? Preview? Yeah, a preview. Right, what do we call a preview of the meal to come? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So now, I mean, I don't think yeah. he—I don't think he intended this way. I think he meant it's—you're tasting the same feast, but you're tasting it before you will receive it mm-hmm. in have, in resurrection. Okay, fine. Um, but that's not how nah, we were here. The feast is to come, right. and what we have now is only like a, a taste, yeah, a taste of it. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I don't believe that because. In the supper, we have everything. We have forgiveness of sins. We have life. We have salvation. Completely done forever. In the grave. Not like a, not just like getting us ready for the big feast, but actually it is the same feast. The, the distinction isn't of quantity or quality. The distinction is between receiving it in faith, right? So we see, we don't see the lamb. We receive it by faith. We see bread and wine, right? The distinction is then we'll see it face to face. But it's the same feast. Now we taste it in the midst of a land of sorrow and strife and difficulty and, and actually death. And then we'll, there'll be no death, no sorrow, no crying, right? But, it, but we'll be receiving the same meal. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we confess that when Christ died and then rose, mm-hmm. that was the kingdom coming. Yes. Right? So, I mean, isn't that giving the word for like, kingdom come, but it will be done? The kingdom is here with that resurrection. The kingdom is wherever Jesus is, because he is the king. And how did he 
get his kingdom, not by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to die. Yeah. So uh, this is an interesting one. Um, a lot of poetry and hymnody um, actually say that the cross is the Lord's throne. So he rules from the throne, the, the cross, that instrument of torture. And you see how upside down that seems, right? Yeah, it seems right. backwards. It's true. <laughs> but it, it looks completely the opposite of what it is. Right. Luther calls this being a theologian of the cross. Mm-hmm. That a theologian of the cross calls the thing what it is rather than um, what we hope it would be. Right? So we look at it and we see death, we see judgment, we see um, sin. And yet God says that's forgiveness, life, and salvation. In the death of my son. So we just say, okay. And it means that we actually have to believe something despite what it actually looks like. And that's why you prefer the crucifix version. Hmm? Yeah, because I don't, I don't think actually the empty cross, it's not a challenge at all to faith. It doesn't, it doesn't create faith and it doesn't challenge you know, misplaced faith. It's, it's, there's no offense to an empty cross. It, it doesn't offend. I mean, it, it offends, I say, Muslims because they know that it represents Christianity. Um, but it doesn't offend those. I mean, they're just like, as long as you don't have like a really big one, like in Effingham, Illinois. You ever been to Effingham? I mean, you have to pardon the joke. It's a little, it's a little crude. Uh, but when we drive by it, we call it the big effing cross because it's in Effingham. <laughs> it's just like, it's probably 40 feet tall. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, and it's white. So, so when you're going south through Illinois and then you have to go, whatever it is, 70 over to St. Louis, yeah. oh, Effingham's right there. Oh, okay. and there's this big effing cross. So, yeah, you have to go that way. Well, thanks a lot. Rather than, I think if you go, I think if you like went down to Indianapolis and over, you might not even see it. You have to go like through Champaign-Urbana down that way. All right, well, anyway. Um, yeah, that, no, it's true. And actually, I think saying... Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. That's also potentially very offensive. Because if I said, take and eat, this represents Christ's body, well, I can kind of go with that, right? Because whatever that means to me, that's all it matters. But when you say is, is means is, right? I mean, it's very, um, like, you got to confront. It's confrontational language. Like, you got to deal with the reality that God, the Son of God who died for you, now gives you that body and blood to eat and to drink. Ooh, boy. Like, whatever that... I mean, for us, maybe because we just... We're receiving it in faith, and we've been receiving it for a long time. It's like, okay, it's just fine. I know what we say. The Romans, mm-hmm. Catholic, we say body of Christ. Yeah. When we look at the whole stuff, that's what we say. Yeah, well, and here's the, oh, here's the other okay, kind. So I'm just bringing you, it you, Well, I know, it's good. This is... I mean, I see this is because mm-hmm. Jesus said this is. Right. I'm going to drink some more of this. So much. Not much left. <laughs> not much left. I just turned off. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's gonna be really hot. It's been scalding there. It's not bad. It didn't turn out bad for not measuring it. No, no, it's not bad at all. Not bad, and it's old. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, this is versus body. The reason they don't say this is is because not because they don't believe it is, but because it it allows for some wiggle room. That you could say, uh, the body of Christ. What is, the body of Christ can be used in more than one way. Mm-hmm. It can refer to his bodily presence in the Lord's Supper. It can refer to what else? 
the body of Christ is the church. That's right. So here's, here's, a, here's your little catechesis today. Um, no, you brought it up. We need to talk about it. Right. What, what is meant by the term communion? Right, so we have, we have Lord's Supper. That was pretty easy. Jesus, Jesus gives the supper. He is the supper, etc. It's his supper. Um, sacrament of the altar. What comes from the altar. And you notice it's, it's not necessary, but I like to reserve the altars used for the Lord's body and blood. That's what we use it, mm-hmm. the altar for. When we have a prayer right. office like Matins or something, that's, the altar is reserved for that purpose. We can pray from anywhere, yeah. right? And so we restrain it. To, and, and then I actually reverence the altar differently whether or not there's sacrament on it or not. Mm-hmm. I might do it like a, just a simple bow versus a profound bow if, it's, if there's sacrament on it. But anyway, that's not exciting. So what do we say the word was? Calm. Communion. Well, I'm going to drop it now. Uh, we'll put two nines. Like communication. Communion. Uh, union. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now, union's pretty easy. That's a. That's a right. Joining together. Joining and together. com is prefixed for. With. With. All right. So joining with. Joining with. All right. Not the problem. Right. right. Joining with. Joining what with what? And this is where I would argue we have a problem. Ah. When we when we when it's called holy communion, what are we talking about? The joining of what to what? You can guess. I won't like chastise you if you don't know. Uh, that's not bad. That's I actually haven't heard that one before. I don't. I don't mind that too much. But that's not what is meant. No. Sorry, I'm gonna take a bite of this protein bar while you're thinking. I'm gonna give you. My mother told me, who's a retired educator, that I don't give you enough time to answer my questions. Chewing, you can answer. <laughs> Alright. It's commonly understood as with joining one another. And maybe one another also with Jesus. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the people who would say, ah, that's not entirely wrong, by the way. It's true. When we go to the supper together. Right. We're communing together on the same body and blood. Mm-hmm. So that joins us together because we're receiving the same gift. Mm. But that's not what's meant by the word communion when we talk about it. Or not only oh. this. It's the bread, yeah, bread and wine, right. just join the body yeah. and blood. Right. In the same way, of that the communion of the divine and human natures of Jesus mm-hmm. are joined together into one Christ. And, and in this communion, the divine is communicated to the human. human. So his his body can be in more than one place at a time. Jesus knows all things. Right. He can command the seas and the waves. And yeah. yeah. In his body. Also, his humanity is communicated to his divinity. Mm. So God suffers. God dies. Right. God is born. Right. right. Those are hard things for people to well, confess. Yeah. But you see that explanation about the bread and wine yep. and the body and blood. Yep. I mean, Besides, it makes rational sense to me. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is when you get... Reasonable. Yeah, rational. Because when you have the, um, you know, the little tablet, you know, where it changes. Into, it's like, you know, where, where do you pull that in from? Because hmm. they use the word communion. That's right. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's more reasonable. I don't know. I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
He says it is, but he says he takes bread and he says it's his body. He doesn't say it turns into his body. He doesn't say it represents his body. He just says it is. Yeah, and I think, but but this is my reason for bringing it up is it's not equal. But they're using what Jesus has revealed here of the communication of his divine to his humanity, that he restrains his divinity while he's in his when he comes into the flesh. Think about like boy Jesus rose in wisdom and stature before God and man. Right? That's does God need to grow in wisdom and stature? No, humans grow. So he's uh, the father. The father restrains. He doesn't even reveal to his son himself. Um, although Jesus says in the temple at age twelve, "Don't you know I need to be about my father's business?" <laughs> so even at age twelve, he knows that he is the son of son of God. Mm. So it's it's. I'm not saying this makes any sense either. Yeah. But, but there's an analogy there. Just as the divine and human are joined together, so the body and blood of Christ are joined to the bread and wine and the supper. Right. And it is true that we are joined to one another in the sacrament. But this, the reason why I hesitate to emphasize this is that for Rome especially, uh, I think Reform too, this becomes the main thing. The reason you go to the sacrament is because it joins us together. And what does it say? The main thing in the sacrament is... Given and shed for you forgiveness of sins. That's right. Do, do we are we joined together in that same forgiveness? Absolutely. Are we? But here's the thing: Does the sacrament do, do that uniquely? Sacrament of the altar. Is it? Is that the only place where Christians are joined together into one body in Jesus? It's not the first place. It was the first place. In baptism, yeah, you're baptized into Christ. You're joined together. You are children of the heavenly Father together. You're already one family. Yeah, you don't need communion for that. Right. I mean, obviously, a family eats together, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the main thing in communion because that's the gift of baptism. So uh, this is an important distinction, too, is to let, let the Scripture... Don't try to apply words from one part of Scripture to another part of Scripture. So say, well, here's what God says about baptism, so that needs to apply to the Lord's Supper. No, that's for baptism. Let the Lord's Supper be the Lord's Supper, let baptism be baptism. They're complementary gifts, Right? And they have unique purpose and, and even program. Like for example, you, uh, we generally just baptize people, but we don't just commune people. Yeah. Right. Why? Because we have different instructions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can die outside of the sac- receiving the sacrament in faith, but you can't die outside, inside of faith and deny baptism. And that, this is why, like, even a Methodist funeral is not all that comforting for me, because because they see baptism as symbolic too. Oh, wow. And American evangelicals are the worst. There's a great article uh, in Christianity Today this week about this, about how they they they're they don't even talk baptism to the point where people are evangelical Christians and they're not even baptized. Like, what is wrong with these people? They're like the clear testimony of Scripture, Mark's. You know, you don't even have to go to the end of Mark. You can go to Romans. Like, mm-hmm. you know. This is what happens when everything is symbolic. You'll, you'll just start importing symbols all over the place. And the other things will take its place. So the symbol of God's love of us is our love for one another. Well, that's true in a way, right? They will, they will know you're a Christian by your love or whatever. That's how the, the hymn went. <laughs> and that's consistent with Paul. No, we know the love of God because he died for us. 
to forgive us. All right. So mm. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So like, so like with Holy Communion, you mm. know, where for the Catholics, that's when um, the children then at that time they get to receive. Yeah. They're first of all, okay. First so communion. Luther, Luther didn't. He, he continued he, that practice. He, he continued. He discontinued yeah. it. Then. No, he didn't. Oh, no, they continue. He said even an eight-year-old, small cult articles, even an eight-year-old knows where the church is. Right. Lambs gathered around their shepherd. No, he communed him. He communed uh, young people that, that, again, confessed, given and shed for me for the forgiveness right, of sins. Right. So the catechism actually was the instruction yes. manual to prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So in that way, our, our confirmation practice is accurate. Except we don't, we just hold off doing it until you just do, some magical age. Well, it's changing. Right. We're changing it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be. It's, it's really, um, again, faith in these words, confessed. Right. Is it the only thing the sacrament's for? No, and there's no. much more we can learn about the sacrament. So um, the way this works, you can look at like somebody like Cyril of Alexandria, uh, second century, or first century. Anyway, he, um, he would do a basic instruction towards the Lord's Supper. So you're baptized, and then the same day, maybe even commune with adults. Right? So they're baptized and they commune. Um, but then you would keep going to church the rest of the week. For, so every day then you would, he would expound to you what it is that you're receiving. So you've been prepared to receive it, but then you keep receiving instruction about what you're receiving. Right? Yeah. I mean, and that, that's helpful. I mean, think about it like, like you, don't, you don't have to explain everything about riding a bike before you do it. But then after you ride a bike for a while, you start to figure out the like mechanics of it initially you just kind of have to just throw yourself into it you get the basic idea that you just don't want to fall over but you want to keep moving forward yeah but as far as it like if you want to be like a pro cyclist now you can really dig deep into like the mechanics and body posture and strength and shoot and all the various things that's same thing with the lord's supper you receive the lord's supper you don't know everything when you're receiving it and i would say your whole life you're still gaining knowledge and understanding of how it relates how it, how it comforts and benefits and relates to the rest of your life. And, yeah. I have one last question. No, there's, John, maybe, you have more questions. I don't know if you had the same thing, but growing up Catholic, or Catholic, when we got first communion, we were never given the wine. Mm. It was never even an option for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I remember correctly, it wasn't until I was a little older where they actually started having it in the, the distribution line. Mm-hmm. But the kids were never encouraged to take it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was your case or not. Uh, you never, the yeah. first communion was always was just the, the bread. Just the bread. Yeah. Is that, would that just be like a, okay. a church thing, like that specific congregation? Nope. Or was that nope. Okay. Nope. Nope. Um, so I'm pulling up bookofconcord.org. <laughs> That's a long time. So, so listen, listen, this is worth doing now. We've, we've done this before, but it's been yeah, probably okay. about a year. You haven't known me a year yet. No. It's probably been 11 months, something like that. No, we have only been here nine no, months. I've only been here nine months. So the first uh, Lutheran confession uh, is what's called the Augsburg Confession, and that's the one that's in the official name of the congregation, mm-hmm. right? We're of the unaltered Augsburg Confession. So initially, when the Augsburg Confession was written, there were six articles. Um, uh, no, that's not right. Six, seven, I think. We'll see. I'll tell you what they are. Six abuses that we wanted to tell Charles V that this is what the Reformation is all about. These are the things that we really have issue with. Okay? And so they are these. Um, receiving both bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. So Luther took issue. The Reformer said, that doesn't make any sense. He says, take and eat, take and drink. Why would you say take and eat but not drink? Not drink. 
And it's a pious thing about not spilling and da 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 because it is Christ's blood. But it also is a way of setting the clergy above the lay people. So they, they did understand uh, ecclesiastical hierarchy in terms of like the priest is more holy than the lay person. Yeah. So both kinds in the sacrament, marriage of priests. So we saw that as an abuse. Mandatory celibacy was an abuse that needed to be corrected. Okay. Um, the mass, so we need to talk about that. Not the term the mass, but what the mass was, what Rome said it was, which I'll read to you that because it's related to our lesson. Um, confession, namely that you had to confess, it was mandatory, rather than it being about absolution, forgiveness of sins, it was about confession. confession. Yeah. Um, and so we don't say you have to confess, um, but we avail you to receive the gift of, to confess so that you receive the gift of absolution. That was almost like when you were Roman Catholic. If you really did something bad, you had to go to confession before you could receive the sacrament because that's how it was. Yeah, and if you, if, if, because when you do something bad, you right. mean sinful, when you do something sinful, you're saying to God, I don't believe you in your word, right? So it's, a confess- it's, an, un- it's an act of unbelief, right. and you should confess that. Yeah. Um, so Lutherans rightly have, before every, se- every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you always confess your sins. It's always part of the right. Whether it's formally like the way we're doing it now right. or historically, you know, right. like less than 100 years ago. There are people in this congregation that remember it being done this way where you come and confess to the, the pastor on Saturday oh. or early on Sunday and then bef- right. you come privately to him bef- yeah. and you wouldn't be admitted to the table unless you came and confessed first. Right. Right. In a general way, but we, the abuse was one, that you have to confess and two, that you have to enumerate all your sins. You have to, you have to list them all off. And as we said, that's that's absurd. And the difference with the Catholics, they would the father would tell you this, this is what your absolution is. Mm. How many hours? No, it's not absolution. That's penance, man. Oh, I mean your penance. Sorry. No. All right. Penance. Another one. Another abuse. Distinction of foods. That's you know fish fries on Friday. Mandatory <laughs> because you can't have red meat on Friday. That's true. So at the, t- the right. five hundred years ago, yeah. Luther's like that's yeah. dumb. That's dumb. If you want to fast, fast. You want to fast during Lent? That's a good thing. We encourage people to fast during Lent. But why only on Fridays and why only red meat? And why is that under obligation? Yeah. And then you go and eat fatty fried foods is all you can eat. Like, that's not a fast at all. All right. Monastic vows. So not only mandatory celibacy, but that you could vow to work for the church for your whole life and that that was not... It was indelible. You actually couldn't break it. That's why the priestly abuse scandals now are such a big deal. Those, those guys can't be unpriest. They can be defrocked. They can no longer serve as priests, but they can't. They're in this like limbo between being a lay person and a priest. Hmm. So they end up getting shuffled off into like a monastery where they don't have contact right. with anybody else. Um, and then the last point of contention was ecclesiastical power, namely that the Pope is the divine authority on earth for the church. We said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as you say it's not divine authority, but it's earthly authority. Earthly authority that the church yeah. has decided on earth to recognize you as kind of the, the grand poobah. Mm-hmm. But not because God said God you're the grand poobah, but because we just need somebody to be in charge. Right. We'd be happy with that. Right. right. So it starts with those seven articles. And then what we find out with those seven and talking, the, the first round of talks, is that, oh, these abuses are not going to be easily corrected because we, are, we actually disagree about the nature of original sin. We disagree about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We disagree about what the church is and where it is and what its job is. We actually disagree what the sacraments are and the benefit of the sacraments. 
we don't even agree on like things like will where you know rome says that you have a free will and that the holy spirit comes along and inflames your will and the bible says no so i mean it's it's pretty that's uh, pretty neat article but anyway the mass so let's do this and then this would be a good place to end oh it's too long um, but what was the abuse with Rome? What were we trying to do? Falsely, our churches are accused of abolishing the Mass. Falsely. We didn't abolish the Mass. For the Mass is retained among us and celebrated with the highest reverence. Nearly all the usual ceremonies are also preserved, save that the parts sung in Latin are now interspersed here and there with German hymns, which we've added to teach the people. So it doesn't have to be in Latin. So Lutherans were the first people to say that. Later, Rome figured it out. You know, 1964. That was okay to like say mass in English. It was only Latin mass until the 60s. Yeah, okay. For ceremonies are needed to this end alone. So this is why we have all the ceremonies. That the unlearned be taught what they need to know of Christ. And not only has Paul commanded us to use church, in the church to use a language understood by the people, 1 Corinthians 14, but it has also been so ordered, ordained by man's law. The people are accustomed to partake of the sacrament together, if any be fit for it, and this also increases the reverence and devotion of public worship. For none are admitted except they be first examined. That's what we're doing. It's taking a long time with you, but we're getting there. Mm-hmm. The people are also advised concerning the dignity and use of the sacrament, how great consolation it brings to anxious consciences, that they may learn to believe God and to expect and ask of him all that is good. In, connection, in this connection, they are also instructed regarding other and false teachings of the sacrament. We've been doing that too. This worship pleases God. Such use of the sacrament nourishes the true devotion toward God. It does not therefore appear that the Mass is more devoutly celebrated among our adversaries than among us. So Lutherans are saying, you come to one of our services, it's going to be done as reverently or more than what you see in a typical Roman parish. And I think that's especially true today. Um, yeah, and then there's a lot more you can read. So, you know, what was the issue? What was the problem? Uh, I'm going to see how far I need to skip forward. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so here's what Rome says about the Mass, and we should probably tidy it up with this is they say what's happening every time the Mass is celebrated is that the priest is offering the Son who's been given to us to the Father and re-crucifying him every time. So he is dying again and again and again and again. Which I don't know. I mean, you have to read this in some detail. What's their actual argument for this? Maybe if you read what's called the confutation, which was Rome's response to the oh. Augsburg Confession, okay. is to say, what, what? They also said that, um, that you could say private masses, which we had a big issue with, that like a priest could say a mass for like the dead, right. um, or that you could pay a priest to say mass for you, but, and we're like, wait a minute, given and shed for you, mm-hmm. it's, it's the eating and drinking that's the thing, right. not, right. not the like, right. and so that, you've probably seen this in a Roman parish, where, um, People won't commune, but they still are told that they benefit from just watching it happen. Yeah, they have things called adoration chapels, where they reserve the sacrament, the bread, anyway, put it in a thing called a monstrance, and you can come and pray before the body of Jesus. And it's like, but he gave it for you to eat. So, why are you, why are you, I mean, you could treat it with reverence, but why are you thinking it can, you know, it's something more than what it is, so... 
Um, and that's because Rome has a different sense of authority. So for, uh, for Rome, there's two, there's two equal authorities. There's the scriptures and there's, um, and there's the authority of the church. What the church says is tradition, if you like. Yeah. And so um, you can, they say you can only understand the scriptures through the traditions of the church. That is the things that have been handed down, mm-hmm. the practices. Uh, Lutherans say God's word is clear. And actually, if you look at the traditions and the teachings of the, of the fathers of the church, they just teach what the scripture teaches. You don't actually, you, you don't need to just listen to them, but, if, but they actually validate what the Bible itself clearly teaches. Okay. And the only authority we actually need is the scriptures. And then, so our, but our church fathers, they actually validate what the Bible teaches. They teach, the, the faithful ones teach in accordance with the scripture. Which is our sole, the way our Lutheran confession, Augsburg confession say, it's the sole rule and norm for faith and life. It tells us everything we need to know about faith and life. Yeah. Instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really like that, but I guess it's kind of. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and there's more you can learn. Uh, like I said, you have to pay attention to sermons for a while. Um, but like the nature of, it's a last, we don't use the word covenant, it's a testament. Because it's a last will and testament. It's the last words that Jesus said before he died. Um, but also it's the benefit of his death is given to you in the supper. Like a last will and testament says what the benefit of the deceased is for you. Like this inheritance, right? So our inheritance, um, the inheritance of the death of Christ that we receive from his death um, is actually received in the supper. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. Yeah. And then like things like closed communion, that one's a little bit harder to talk about because it's yeah. really, it's very traditional. Um, I think it's good. I think it's good. So to say that only those who, only, only those who, who confess, not only that it's Christ's body and blood given and shed for forgiveness of sins, but actually confess that this church is the true church and teaches according to God's word ought to commune here. Mm-hmm. So, so it gets expanded out to say, I actually agree with all the teachings of this congregation, of this faith, or like God's word confession. Yeah. Okay, yeah. question. Yeah. For a person that's dying, hmm? how many people actually take communion before um, the death of um, In my experience, yeah. not very many. Um, but I actually have very few people that, that call me for communion when they're sick. See, my mom did. Mm-hmm. She was sick. Yeah. She knew she was dying. Yeah. So the pastor came and she gave, gave her. It's, I mean, it is, it is the most comforting antidote mm-hmm. to those facing death is to receive life in Jesus. Yeah. shortly after that, she passed I actually communed somebody, and then I later found out she died from choking, and I was like, oh. oh wow. I wonder if I wasn't supposed to give her, because she was having, she was old, she was in her 90s, but I'm trying to remember what was the condition, if she was having problems swallowing, and I didn't know that, and so she might have choked on, and Jesus took her home that way, yeah, right, no, I, I try, I, yeah, and I, but I honor, like, if they say, you know, liquid-only diet, I just, I, we'll do, I'll try to be, I just try to be as sensitive to that as I can. I mean, it's not the amount of the bread that matters, so yeah. maybe just use a little corner, even dip it in the wine, which is not the best practice, but 
if you can make it if so it dissolves in your mouth yeah. I think that's one of the good reasons yeah. for the wafers yeah. is that you don't actually have to swallow it nope. um, you can just let them dissolve um, so you don't have the same kind of if you try to chew it and yeah you can probably <laughs> get a chunk and get yeah. um, as to whether it can or can't I mean that's a pious thing I, I, I do believe that there's you know as the hymn has a saying there's no poison in the cup that the father sends me but I but at the same time I'm just like well I'm not going to like intentionally like test God on this one yeah. like if my if the doctor whom he's given me has said uh, liquid only I think mm-hmm. you know uh, maybe I would just I would just do one kind there and say look we're going to reserve the bread but here's the blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins yeah. I've never done that because I've always just said, just let it dissolve in your mouth, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too hung up on being dogmatic there. Yeah. But, uh, but actually, uh, it is part of, that was one of the practices we retained. Not as a sacrament, because in Rome it's called last unctions or last rites. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's actually a requirement that you commune before you die. Yeah, it's considered a sacrament and that, you, that they will actually probably just make your family say more private masses or something get you off purgatory if you didn't commune before you died um but i mean do you have to no but i think it does bring special comfort at 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 the sickbed and at the deathbed at the deathbed Um, but i also bring a crucifix to both of those places whether people like it or not because it's just the thing and uh it's interesting because it actually does bring not only that but the the vessels i have i mean they're very modest but but they, they're not like a cup and a saucer out of the kitchen cabinet. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they're, they're gold and silver. And so, you know, I think they're actually just gold. Gold-plated brass, probably. But, um, no, I don't have any silver. What was I going to say about that? Um, but it does communicate. Like, like Augsburg Confession said, you know, these, these are for the sake of the unlearned. So that you're like, is this really Christ's body and blood here? Well, you're, you're acting like it is. Because you're putting on the stool, and there's a crucifix. There's uh, there's vessels that you only use for that, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you say all the words. Yeah. So, um, it you know you don't want to put people into a position where they come to doubt by practices that are when things are done flippantly or yeah. I mean even just the speed of the words that matters to me. You know I say things when it comes to the words of institution. I say them very slow. Um, I received that. That wasn't my practice. It wasn't what I grew up with. Um, and it's somewhat aggravating, um, but it's intentional just to say, these are the words. Pay attention. This is the only time I'm going to talk this way, very slow, or sing very slow. Um, but I, I just, this is where your attention is supposed to be right now. And it, again, it's, is it for, it probably aggravates people who believe the words already, but children, they latch on to that. And singing the words of institution, by the way, which is a thing only Lutherans do, um, because it's, as Luther said, it's the gospel for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Um, singing is really wonderful because you'll get small children if you sing consistently. We're not right now. Um, they'll, you'll ask them what the words of institution are. They can't say them, but they can sing them. Right. Yeah, so they actually commit them to memory better right. with song. Um, so that's mm-hmm. just a side note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so more we could talk about. Um, given your background, though, I mean, I don't feel like I have to... Just that whole, like, it is still bread and wine thing. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah. and actually probably a lot of Roman Catholics probably don't quite get into the whole substanti- transubstantiation thing. 
You know, just like Lutherans. It's interesting. It was a lot of years after I kind of converted to Lutheran that mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize. No, because they don't talk about it. No, it was never really talked to us or presented to us right. in that way. It was just, right, here's true. what you believe in this. Yeah, so that's probably, it'd probably be interesting yeah. to find out that a lot of Roman Catholics actually believe the same thing we do. Yeah, yeah, they do. But because they, they don't know any better what their public, the public right. teaching Just like Lutherans don't know what the public teaching of Lutheran Church is. And so we probably need to at least learn the Augsburg Confession mm-hmm. and uh, go through it regularly and just say, all right, because it's in our Constitution, it's in our official name. That's that, and it's in every, every teacher's installation, every pastor installation. Um, it's actually mm-hmm. part of confirmation, right? So. We probably should know what it says since we actually say we agree with it. Yeah. So, and actually, I find it really helpful and comforting, uh, both that and the apology. So, the Lutheran confessions are, even though it's a thick book, it's not. It's actually not scary, and it's and it's not philosophical mumbo jumbo. It actually is quite. You know, here's what the Bible says, or here's what, and here's where Leo says the same thing as the Bible. Here's where Augustine says the same thing as the Bible. You know, so it's not really that. Sometimes it's a little insulting of Roman Catholics, but or the Reformed, but that's okay. All right. Good. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you would have us listen to your Son Jesus, that we would receive in His Word uh, all that is beneficial for our faith and life. We especially thank you for the blessing of um, His body and blood given and shed for us upon the cross, uh, but given to us under bread and wine for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. We ask that you would send your spirit upon us, that, this, uh, that our faith would be strengthened, our confidence uh, in this word that he, you have given by your son, uh, that we would believe it not only this day, but all our days until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.